Bonus episode time, folks. I am having a conversation with um, Larry Worthen, the executive director of the Christian Medical and Dental Association of Canada. Stay tuned. Hi, folks. Welcome back to the Pro-Life Guys podcast, a show dedicated to equipping you with the tools that you need to have compassionate and compelling conversations about abortion so together we can change minds, save lives, and transform our culture. Uh, my name is Cam. I'm the host of the show. Welcome back. Um, for those of you who have been listeners, whether this is your second episode or your 200th episode, that is wild that I believe that we are over 200 episodes now for the Pro-Life Guys podcast. It's been an absolute joy to be uh, with you and along for the ride. For anyone who's just tuning in, um, I welcome you. I welcome you to this show that is all geared about how you can have these good conversations, whether with your friends and family, whether with complete strangers by joining one of our outreach teams across the country. Um, this is a, a way to facilitate not only education, but also community as well. And so our general episodes are all dedicated towards conversational skills and tools but today we're doing a bonus episode. We've been trying to do more bonus episodes, highlighting other ministries, other movements, other components of the pro-life movement. And I am thrilled to be chatting with uh, Reverend Larry Worthen. He is an incredible man. He is the executive director of the Canadian Medical and Dental Association for Canada. Um, he's got a very cool story and he's got some incredible and profound insight into the challenges that medical professionals are facing, some encouragement for those and potential medical professionals, and considerations for how people like you and I, who may not be directly involved in the medical field, um, might be able to further support medical professionals. And so without further ado, here's my conversation with Larry Worthen, Executive Director of the Canadian uh, Christian Medical and Dental Association of Canada. All right, folks. Larry, thank you so, so much for taking the time to join me on the Pro-Life Guys podcast. How are you? Very good. It's a beautiful day here. I'm in Fredericton, New Brunswick. And although it was cold this morning, it's sunny and warm right now. So we'll take this it. Is, we'll take it. We'll take that anywhere in Canada this time of year. So this That's is right. good. And, and though I, I don't want to, I'm sure we could spend the whole episode on your, your business and ministry in Fredericton. Maybe give me a, a quick peek in, so you are generally based out of Ottawa, but you are in Fredericton for the next little bit. What, what brings you to Fredericton, if I can ask? Oh, no, actually, I'm based in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. So an East Coast yeah. um, well, anyways. East Coast guy. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm in Dartmouth. Uh, I was uh, I went to Guelph, Ontario, on the weekend mm, for our okay. our uh, Eastern student retreat. Perfect. Uh, and then uh, I was in Ottawa. Uh, I'm in, uh, and I'm just in Fredericton for a couple of days. We have a meeting with Premier Higgs tomorrow to talk Wonderful. about uh, conscience protection for people with uh, for physicians who are unable to uh, provide uh, euthanasia. Wonderful. And we'll dive into that topic because I, I hope that that can serve as something of the meat and potatoes for our conversation today about medical ethics and not only some of the dilemmas that, that medical professionals find themselves in, but how people like me um, can support medical professionals, uh, whether politically, whether through education and other efforts to make sure that um, not only are we um, living as Christians in our daily life and witnessing to the people around us, but particularly when it comes to matters of health and life and death, um, how we are fully empowering um, Christians in that field um, to, to offer the best care possible. 
But maybe to start out, so you are the executive director of the Christian Medical and Dental Association in Canada here. And I'm, I'm curious, is this something that um, was always the hopes and dreams of a young uh, Larry Worthen? Is this something that you kind of <laughs> fell, fell into? Or, or uh, what was the journey like getting in, involved with the um, Christian Medical and Dental Association? Well, uh, uh, some great religious thinker said, God writes straight with crooked lines. Yes. And uh, that's the story of my life. Uh, I graduated from law school in 1981, uh, then wanted to go into ministry, uh, ended up uh, working uh, in the not-for-profit sector for 12 years, uh, running various charities, uh, providing shelter for homeless people, uh, second stage housing for people with psychiatric difficulties. Then I... Uh, got my diploma in dental education, uh, got hired on with the provincial government in Nova Scotia, worked there for 12 years. And then this job came up. Uh, I was quite happy with the province of Nova Scotia, but my son was applying for medical school. And I was concerned about his ability to be able to practice and maintain his Christian faith. So uh, I had known about CMDA. My wife was a member for many years and I applied for the job and I got it. But the, the cool thing was that all of the various jobs I had done were all a preparation for this. So the Lord really blessed me in giving me this opportunity. Amen. What, yeah. what, a, <laughs> what a great way to build into, uh, whether, whether it's culminating or, or whatever, in, into this role where you're able to work with, um, I don't know the exact numbers, but I'm sure at least hundreds, if not thousands of different individuals, doctors, nurses, other medical professionals, and other people as well, I'm sure, different touch points across the country um, as it relates to medical ethics and, and students and practitioners and retirees and everyone. And yeah. I, I kind of wanted to kick off the conversation. I'm sure that lots of people have um, ideas about Christians in medicine and maybe people in our audience are Christians working in medical fields. I've certainly heard a number of very, very heart-wrenching stories of, of positions that people have been put in by their clinic, by their hospital, by their office, whatever it may be. Kind of a, a starting question that I wanted to get your, your opinion on. I feel like... As I was doing my degree, I've, I've got a background in um, genetics and and molecular genetics, and and I did some medical ethics through university. And I feel like there was a, I want to call it a debate, but I feel like at times it was a foregone conclusion that many people in areas that touch the medical profession should be thought of as simply practitioners. I, I felt like it was so reductive into basically if you're a doctor or a nurse, you're you're a glorified mechanic that is just a matter of offering the service that somebody wants. And that it was a very much an exchange kind of relationship of I go in, I want this done to me. I want this procedure. I want the surgery. I want this prescription. I want this whatever. And as a doctor, as a medical professional, your responsibility is to provide me with the service that I am requesting. And if that's one end of the spectrum, I'm curious as to how you would kind of describe and the, the foundation that you would build, um, because presumably it's a little bit different than, than simply a customer service rep that is um, fulfilling the, the desires, how would you kind of characterize the kind of relationship that medical professionals should have with patients and, and others who are engaging with the medical system? Does that make sense as a question? 
Absolutely. Um, it's very important that we maintain the professionalism of medicine. Uh, and uh, we have uh, 1,500 uh, members all across Canada. And an important aspect of what we do is that we help with the integration of uh, faith and professional practice. So if anyone's listening out there that might be considering medicine, including possibly yourself, I don't know whether you've thought about it or not, uh, I just want to encourage them that the organization like ours is out there. We're there to support you. We have chaplains in 13 different medical schools across Canada. And very much we're focusing not on a consumer approach to medicine, but on a uh, collegial approach that our doctors are there to act in the best interest of patients. And we can be trusted to listen to patients, consider their uh, goals, their goals of care, but also to be honest and frank about what we consider to be the best advice we can give them uh, in terms of uh, better helping them uh, with their healthcare concerns. So we see that it's important that doctors have to play a role. You know, it's not just autonomy that is a, a, a pillar of medical ethics. We have to do no harm. We have to ensure that nothing we do could cause harm to patients. Uh, and we have to be concerned about the long-term interests of our patients. And those are things that we, we really value. Uh, and, and I think that's such a great way to frame it of, of integrating the Christian life into the profession of medicine and, and the, the overarching welfare of the patient. I feel like, and, and we'll dive deeply into this. I feel like obviously the, the major raging question right now with regards to, um, medical professionals is, um, conscience rights and, um, freedom of conscience when it comes to participating in medical assistance and dying euthanasia, assisted suicide, abortion, mm -hmm. other controversial, uh, medical practices. And I feel like at times there's this misconception that this is out of, selfishness of the medical professional, that it's a matter of, oh, well, this doctor is so high and mighty up on their uh, moral ivory tower, and they don't want to get their hands dirty, and they are selfish in their refusal to provide care. I'm sure that you've heard that countless times. And and obviously, the approach is, is couldn't be further from the truth, that this isn't about trying to keep the conscience of doctors clean per se, but rather doctors desperately wanting it and all medical professionals desperately wanting superior care that you don't serve somebody and help somebody and love somebody ultimately by killing them or, or killing their preborn child or, or that. And I, I'm curious, that might be how I think about it, but how, how would you think about the intersection of conscience rights when it comes to the relationship between the patient and the doctor or, or other medical professionals again? Well, uh, quite simply, the physician is a moral agent, right? They're a person. Uh, they're a person who has uh, rights, uh, should have rights, to be able to act according uh, to their religious beliefs. Uh, but uh, we've almost stopped emphasizing the word conscience because it's perceived the way you described it. What we talk about is protection of patients, and uh, all you have to do is look at the way uh, MAID has expanded in Canada. I mean, between 2021 and 2022, uh, it went up over 30%. Uh, Canada has the highest rate of increase 
of made in the world and may even now be a higher percentage of total deaths than uh, the Netherlands. So, so the, the question is, uh, who is going to act in the best interest of the patients? Uh, you know, recently we hear from the Liberal government that they're uh, wanting to delay the uh, implementation of made for mental health. But that's a, just a perfect example of, uh, you know, are we in business to protect patients, to act in their best interests, or are we just there if, if, if a patient comes in who has a psychiatric ailment and they say, I want to kill myself? Well, do, do we act, do we uh, help them with suicide prevention? Or do we just simply give them what they want, which is, uh, which is death? And, and uh, I think that these are very fundamental questions and we need to basically be discussing these. And, and here, are some, here are some of the questions we need to be discussing. Uh, uh, do we think uh, healthcare, uh, that uh, it is valid healthcare to kill a patient? Is that a valid outcome of healthcare? Uh, if, if so, it completely changes the interaction with your physician. If, uh, if killing a patient is a good thing for them and a healthy thing and a helpful thing, a therapeutic thing, uh, then, you know, maybe the patients, maybe the patient who wants to live is, is uh, not acting in his best interest. And so now you see that, uh, it's common, there's a common requirement across the country to advise patients that they could access euthanasia even if they don't ask for it. So it's no wonder that our numbers are going up because it's embedded right within the um, medical system. The other question is, is it ethical to kill a patient? That question has never been debated. Uh, uh, what happened, the only uh, judge who looked at it was the first judge who legalized it. And she said that the jury is out on whether it's ethical or not. So if the jury is out, then why are doctors who don't think it's ethical forced to, in some cases, provide referrals? Uh, these are the larger questions that we need to discuss that have never been discussed. And that should alarm your listeners, quite frankly. That should alarm your listeners. Um, uh, you know, under what circumstances should someone get uh, euthanasia, um, particularly if they have a mental health problem? These are all serious questions. And because of this, the healthcare system itself is in tremendous turmoil and, and a lot of anxiety and concern expressed by uh, caregivers, uh, doctors who uh, want to act in the best interest of patients and are often uh, uh, stopped from doing that because of a fear that they'll, there'll be a complaint that they're trying to block a patient from getting euthanasia. Uh, so those are some of the bigger questions. I think we've decided that we need to more and more go on the offensive as opposed to the defensive. So we don't talk about conscience. We talk about the freedom to act in the best interest of the patients. Yeah. And, and I think that's a brilliant, uh, not only strategy, but, but very, very appropriate moral principle of, of let's keep this focused on the patients and let's think about um, 
enabling and empowering doctors and medical professionals to serve patients in the best way possible, as they have been doing for countless centuries here. Um, let, yeah. Let's not necessarily maintain the status quo. Let's, let's constantly be driving medicine in a way that better serves our patients and better serves our, our brothers and sisters in Christ, rather than taking this massive detour that is now opening the door. Because like you said, it, it, it comes so often down to a question of who do you push off the bridge and who do you pull back? And if if we've generated this two-tier society of people whose lives are worth living and people who, whose lives are no longer worth living, yeah. then like you said, are, are people in denial? If, if we have judged as a society that your life is not worth living, but you still want to live it, are you in denial? Should I be trying to convince you that mm -hmm. your life is not worth living? And so, yeah, mm -hmm. whether that's suggestions to somebody in a hospital bed or education to people like we do retirement planning of just so you know, once you hit this stage, your life is no longer valuable. Therefore, you need to have all of your affairs in order because you should be dead when this happens kind of thing. <laughs> that's an alarming state for us to be in as well as these... a country. Yeah, the the uh, the stories that I've heard are chilling, mm -hmm. absolutely chilling. Uh, of uh, you know, and people come up to me when I do public presentations who are family members of people who've been killed, and they're just totally lost. They don't know how to deal with it. They're totally upset. Uh, they've had relationships ruptured, families broken apart because of it. Uh, you see, the way this happened in Canada was unlike any other nation in the world. It happened through the court, one court decision, one court decision in the B.C. Supreme Court. Uh, and now as politicians try to control it, uh, they're unable to because every time they try, then the courts say that's not in, that's not uh, constitutional under the this first decision that was made by one judge in BC. And, uh, and the other problem is that in the medical care system, uh, uh, people are frightened of the law and they feel that this is somehow a right. And so once someone approaches the uh, MAID team, uh, everyone else stays away from them. Uh, and it's kind of like you get on that track and you can't get off. Um, I heard of one one situation from a psychiatric nurse who told me that a patient had was considering MAID and this nurse contacted the social worker to talk about a discharge plan. And normally they would develop a discharge plan for this person to go home and be cared for. And the social worker said, well, let's just wait and see what, what the MAID team says. So uh, that's a good example. Once you say that death is a legitimate outcome of the medical care system, then what protection yeah, do you have? Totally. Right? And and maybe if we could dive in more into kind of your the experiences that, that you have, whether accompanied medical professionals along with I we had um, Alex Schadenberg on the show maybe six months ago now, and and he does such a wonderful job of talking about it from the patient's perspective and talking to family members of the patient and talking to patients themselves of what what should be going into these life and death decisions and the considerations we have to make. I'm curious, from your vantage point, working so regularly with students and with professionals, and maybe, maybe we'll start with the professionals and then we'll move towards the, the guidance and support that, that you and the team are offering for students. But for those working 
in day in, day out in clinics and hospitals and other facilities, what kinds of conversations are you able to share other stories of the, the very real dilemmas that medical professionals are, are faced with and then the kind of support that the Canadian Medical and Dental Association can offer, whether that's legal support, whether that's peer-to-peer support, whether that's other kinds of support? What kinds of dilemmas are they facing um, on a day-to-day basis and, and how are you and maybe the public able to help them? Well, at a macro level, we've yeah. been advocating coast to coast mm-hmm. on conscience protection. So, for instance, the Ontario College uh, developed a policy about uh, eight years ago now requiring an effective referral. We challenged them in court and we've continued to meet with them and negotiate with them. And now we're at a point where they are accepting the provision of information as an effective referral. Uh, but in all the Western provinces, Manitoba, Saskatchewan, Alberta, and British Columbia, an effective referral is not required. Uh, it's not required in Newfoundland and Labrador. We're just waiting now. Um, New Brunswick, PEI, and Nova Scotia are in the process of developing a policy there. We've uh, already uh, alerted uh, key stakeholders, and people are already writing letters to these colleges to try to get them to ensure that doctors will be able to practice. But uh, I don't think, quite frankly, I don't think that's the major problem. I think that in the end, that will all work its way out. I do feel, I, I because my experience has been through Christ and I've seen what the Lord has done, I don't think he will leave any of us stranded. Um, the worst province of all is my own home province of Nova Scotia that has the most draconian requirements. But I believe that the Lord will will uh, will move that, will act there. The biggest thing is just the emotional trauma, uh, moral distress leading to moral injury of doctors who are extremely sensitive, doctors and other healthcare workers who are extremely sensitive, who are seeing patients actually uh, head down that route that they feel could have been helped uh, uh, in in other ways. So for instance, uh, I met with uh, one of our members in a Western province who was paid, he just, it was a Monday, he had just found out that his patient had died through MAID. He had seen the patient the week before and he felt the patient had made a conscious decision not to go with MAID to continue on. He was away for the weekend. During that time, a maid provider talked to the patient and the patient died on Monday. So this doctor was so totally distraught by this. Okay, so that's a big issue. Uh, Other doctors told me that, for instance, during COVID, patients were being sent for assessments without even uh, getting any counseling. So in Canada, there's no obligation for uh, the assessor to uh, necessarily do any counseling. For often, what they have is like a checklist. Do you fall? Do you fall into the criteria? The criteria are extremely subjective, and uh, it's only the opinion of the doctor that counts. There's no appeal or anything. So if the assessing doctor feels that those criteria are are in place. One of the criteria, for instance, is uh, uh, grievous and irremediable illness. Well, what's a grievous illness? It's not a medical term. What's 
it's irremediable in the eyes of the patient. So the patient's not even required to take any treatment. Um, uh, 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 one story I can share with you is from someone who provides MAID, who said that in her case, she had, uh, she had a 26-year-old patient that had cancer. The patient statistically had a 65% chance of survival and uh, chose MAID because he didn't want to go through with chemo. And she, she still feels, this, this MAID provider still feels moral injury from that, from that situation. So uh, these are, and there's, yeah, I'm sure Alex had tons of those, and there are, there are sadly many of them. Uh, I had a letter from one of our members who, who uh, was trying to save the life of her own mother uh, and uh, was told on the ferry from uh, Nanaimo uh, that her mother was going to be uh, get made the next day. And when she tried to convince her mother not to do that, her mother just said, no, that's what I want to do. And uh, she had an hour and a half with her mother the next morning. Now, that particular mother had been seen by a gerontologist who said she was not competent. Okay, within, I think, 10 days, the same woman was seen by two, the two maid assessors who said that she was competent. And there's no longer any waiting period for people, for people who, uh, where death is reasonably foreseeable. There's no waiting period. So someone can be assessed one day as uh, being incompetent and then assessed the next day by somebody else saying that they are competent. So, so, so these are the problems. I think your listeners uh, should be aware that this will impact their own family at some point. Um, I myself have a grandson who is on the uh, autism spectrum. Uh, and now I have to worry about him having a dark day at some point and uh, having his life uh, ended, you know. Yeah, I, I think it's alarming, especially because of that that um, lack of requirement for a waiting period. I mean, not that, that there should be allowances even with waiting periods, but I think that that puts everybody at, at on edge, myself included, especially obviously we're thankful that the mental health um, requirement has been delayed and whatnot. But obviously Alex has shared cases. And I'm sure that you're familiar with cases of people that this, any right-minded person would see this as a, an issue of mental health, but it gets written up as something else or, or that kind of thing. And, loved ones that I have that I know lots of people that have very, very dark days, very dark seasons, very dark years and whatnot. And to know that that could irreversibly end at the snap of a finger sort of thing is absolutely terrifying. And in, in my humble opinion, well, the, and, uh, there, I should, I should clarify that yeah. when, when death is not reasonably foreseeable, which would be the case for a person with a disability, there is a longer waiting period. It's a three month waiting period. But what what we've said is that, you know, if made for mental health got became legal, then it would be three months waiting period. But in Canada, the average wait to see a psychiatrist is six months. So the resources are just not there. Uh, and, and, and that's a particular concern that we have. And we've had people, we've had numerous cases of people choosing made who have disabilities 
and they're choosing MAID because they don't have proper care, they don't have enough money, they don't have the resources, they're ending their life because society has essentially uh, cut them out. And, and our feeling is that people shouldn't be dying because of a problem with society, with a lack of compassion, and with uh, a lack of proper medical care and services. Absolutely. And and even to connect that with what you were mentioning earlier that I, I'd love to to tie in on of I'm I'm sure that before that BC ruling, before MAID was um front and center on on everyone's radar. Like I I'm sure and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm sure that that um you guys would be doing I, I think about the profession of medicine. My my younger sister's a paramedic. Um I, I know a number of nurses and doctors and how how overwhelming it can be when they're providing the best care that they possibly can and tragically a patient dies or, or a patient something yeah. goes sideways. And I, I can only imagine the grief counseling that goes into supporting people when they've done everything they can. The patient is cooperating. The patient wants them to do the best and they, they struggle with this idea of failure. But now I feel like there's a whole nother element beyond that of a doctor, a nurse, medical professional who's providing the best care they possibly can. They're, they're doing everything within their power. They feel like they're moving in the right direction. And, and it must feel in some ways like a, doctor, like, like a patient is throwing it in their face when they say, in spite of all of the sacrifice, in spite of all of the investment that you've done into improving my situation and comforting me in, in all of this, I'm going to choose to kill and end my life. I is is there a, a significant portion of what you guys do in your ministry with doctors, with medical professionals, connecting them with counseling and connecting them with that grief support and and whatnot when they're coping, not only with tragically not being able to save every one of their patients, but also patients who are rejecting their help. It feels like in many ways, and patients who are saying. Obviously, we can agree that there there is insufficient care at times and in particular places and, and whatnot. But even when there is very good palliative care or really good opportunities for whether it's cancer, whether it's other ailments or disabilities, really good care that is being provided or can be provided, but it's rejected. What What is the mental toll, the emotional toll of that plays and and? Is that part of the ministry that you guys do at the Christian Medical um, and Dental Association? Well, I think you move from moral distress to moral injury. And uh, we have actually had a couple of online workshops for members on this topic. Uh, and also, of course, we have chapters all across Canada and, and student chapters. The whole purpose of that is for members to, to uh, share these frustrations with others and get support and prayer for these challenges. Um, you know, uh, one of our members in Ottawa who has been in palliative care for many years is one of the leaders in palliative care across Canada. He said that it, it really affected him. He struggled with it. But then uh, through prayer, he started thinking, you know, what if the Lord was calling me to a mission field in which I have the capacity to save people's lives. Not everybody, but some people's lives. How would I feel about being called to that? And I think that um, that's that's the way he's coping. He's, he's saying, 
you know, this is an environment in which there are many patients that are under threat of death. But I have the ability through my counseling, through my listening skills, to be able to identify what the what the uh, underlying suffering is and to be able to come up with some suggestions or approaches or interventions that will help with that. So, yes, it's daunting. Yes, it's potentially overwhelming. Yes, it could potentially lead to burnout. But if we can focus our attention on relying on Christ for everything, then we can put ourselves in these challenging situations. And through the grace of God, have the strength and endurance to be able to deal with it. You know, I, I, I got a call one time from a young Catholic who, a very devout young man, who was trying to decide whether to go into dentistry or medicine. And he was concerned about medicine because of these very challenges we're talking about. And uh, I really, really uh, encouraged him. I said, look, if Jesus wants you to be a doctor, then you will be a doctor right? Like, there's so many of us that look at the challenges and go, no, no, I can't do it. Well, it's true. You can't do it. But with Christ, all things are possible. You know, if you look at what I do, well, I can't do this. I just can't. I've, so, uh, I have members come up to me and they go, I'm so glad you're here to do your work because I could never do it. And I go, I can't do it. I'm not qualified to do what I'm doing, but the Lord gives the qualifications. The Lord doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And so I just want the, the message for me is to anybody in your listening audience uh, that's a Christian, don't be afraid. Uh, go in there. Uh, do it. Follow. If the Lord is calling you to it and he's put this in front of you, he will give you the grace to be able to to uh, to to deal with this, and different provinces are different. You know, uh, the Western provinces tend to have a better uh, a better Christian culture, and they also provide better protections. But I would say that to any Christian person anywhere in Canada who's interested in taking this route, it is a tremendous tremendous uh, opportunity to witness to Christ in a challenging situation. That is so good to hear. One of my best friends actually is in the process of, um, I think he's got his interview at UBC Medical School coming up in like two weeks here, time of recording. Wow, um, wow, wow. <laughs> good for him. Well, you know, you should get him to contact us. We have a yeah. very strong chapter in Vancouver. Okay. And we could get all the students uh, and all the, all the members in BC praying for him. Gotcha. I, I will absolutely connect him. I, I'm hoping to connect with him to, to run through a little bit more uh, interview prep and whatnot. Um, but that's really encouraging that, that this is still a viable route because I, I know that he's grappled with the question. I know that others have grappled with the question of, of am I going to be not only walking on eggshells, but am I going into a complete milita militarized zone where I'm going to be under fire constantly and forced into these problems? And in some ways, it might be yes, right? Like we are in ways hostile territory and yet we are missionaries. And, and so long as we know that Christ is with us in this journey and that we uh, we join with, with others who are in similar situations and get insight and, and wisdom from them, that 
sure, it's not going to be easy being a a Christian medical professional, but it's not easy being a Christian laborer or a Christian um, business owner or Christian anything. Um, That's part of being Christian. (laughs) And and the nice thing is that the fellowship is amazing. We have a couple at UBC in Vancouver who live close to the medical school, and every Thursday night they have dinner for the medical students, and they come together and they pray together and they support each other. Uh, generally speaking, I find that the that the culture, uh, the medical culture itself, is 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 not that bad. Medical school tends to uh, bring out a lot of radicals who are kind of forcing their views on everyone's down everyone's throat, and uh, that's why our groups are so important during that period. Yeah, gotcha. That makes a ton of sense. And maybe that's a good note to to move towards in our in our ending here of looking at ways that people can get plugged in and support that's available and maybe even talking a little bit. I know that you are speaking um, in Lethbridge coming up here in, in a week or so time of recording. Um, you've also got your 2024 conference coming up in Winnipeg in June of 2024. I was wondering if you could speak a little bit about the events, what people can expect in these events, but also flowing from the events into the chapters and whatnot um maybe maybe bring us home on that note of sure. where people well, get connected in yeah there's a couple of ways that christians can get active on this file and we need to get active um you know back in the early years of christianity during uh the roman empire christians were known because uh the, the roman gods required child sacrifice and sometimes they would leave children out exposed in the woods uh, and Christians would sneak out on the cover of darkness and they would take those children and raise them as their own. And that's, that's what made Christianity grow because people could see that we cared about human life. Similarly today, it's a different type of thing. There's, there's vulnerable people who have mental health problems, who have disabilities, who are at end of life. They need our support. And we need to really mobilize the churches to really support the vulnerable. There's a couple of programs I can suggest that CMDA Canada has developed. One is called uh, Dying with Christ, Living with Hope. It's a, it's a three-evening uh, program. It's, uh, it's uh, three 25-minute three, uh, videos uh, that, that talk about the Christian view of death. Um, and so anyone can deliver that. You just have to contact us on our website. Uh, tell us how many people you want you uh, want to deliver to in your church. We'll send you out uh, booklets for uh, uh, for each person. The other thing, uh, the other project is uh, no options, no choice. It can also be found either by looking at no options, no choice dot com. Uh, no options, no choice uh, is a is a program where you can go on there in two minutes. You can send a letter to your MLA or MPP encouraging them to provide alternatives to MAID in the community. Uh, the next uh, big talk that I'm giving is, uh, or actually I'm emceeing the Canadian Religious Freedom Conference at the Metropolitan Bible Chapel, which is coming up this Saturday uh, in, uh, in Ottawa. And we would encourage anyone, there's, there's no charge to attend that. It's an afternoon on MAID, and it's going to, be provided online as well as in person. And uh, I'll be emceeing that. And then uh, next week I go to Edmonton to the, uh, uh, to the, uh, 
uh, Archdiocese of, uh, of Edmonton there, and I'll be doing a public presentation in Edmonton, uh, as well as a workshop for priests and, uh, and deacons in that diocese. Uh, there's so much that ministers and clergy can do. Uh, and what I try to do is give them the skills to be able to identify the suffering that people are going through and then give them alternatives and strategies they can use to help people uh, support them so that they don't take the main route. So there's so much going on. If anybody's ever interested in having me come and speak or do some workshops, please just contact us through uh, CMDA Canada and we'd be happy to, uh, to assist you. Fantastic. We'll drop those in the show notes. Not only your guys' direct website, we'll put the the no options, no choice um, in the show notes below as well. So please do check those out. Um, and yeah, do connect with, with, with where Larry is already speaking. And if you want him to come and speak to your church, to your community, um, to your hospital, to the, the doctor's office that you work in, anything like that, um, please do connect with him. Larry, I really, really appreciate all the time that you have given me already, especially amidst your busy schedule. Um, uh, thank you, done. Thank you for the work that you do. God bless you. God bless. All right, folks, that's my conversation with Larry Worthen. I am so thrilled that he is giving so many different um, presentations coming up here. I chatted with him after the recording about some of his um, commitments, and holy moly, that man is flying all over the place. He is in uh, New Brunswick right now, meeting with the Premier there. He is based out of Nova Scotia. He's been spending time in Ottawa, time in Edmonton coming up here, in Lethbridge coming up, um, all over the place. And definitely want to encourage you to consider further conversation with him and the programs and projects that he suggested as well. And so um, this is a bonus episode. I hope that you enjoy it. I hope that this is a, whether it's a, a mental break or a breather from the apologetics, whether it's just a, an interesting um, kind of side quest, as it were, glad that you're along for the ride. Please don't hesitate to let me know if you have other suggestions for bonus episodes and other ministries that could be featured. Uh, but with all that to say, Pray that God will bless you abundantly wherever you're at, however many hours are left in your day.